Welcome to the RPGBot.News. I'm Randall James, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Ash Eli. Are we ready to gather our party and venture forth? I think we are, but what? Oh, oh God, what is what is that on the horizon? Oh, is that a is that a spell jammer? Ah! <laughs> Tyler, what have I been abducted by? <laughs> uh, you've been abducted by this thing called a computer. So tonight we're going to talk about Baldur's Gate 3. This is the first time that we've done an episode covering uh, anything that wasn't explicitly a tabletop RPG. So this is a little bit new for us, but it's a D&D video game. So I hope folks listening at home and not at home, oh, folks listening, I hope you'll forgive us for talking about a video game once ever. Yeah. I mean, it's it's based off of the main game we talk about, so... Yeah. yeah. We, we also <laughs> talked about a movie once, which was based about the main game that we talk about. That's fair. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like your, your point still stands. This is... Okay, it is not outside our comfort zone. It's actually very much in our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But it's it's also not something you're used to hearing from the RPGBot.news or RPGBot.podcast. But let's face it, this has been a huge phenomenon. Two of the three of us have really loved playing the game... You know, in our Discord, we had to create a channel just to talk about Baldur's Gate because everybody was so excited about the game. And yeah, so it just made sense. Let's take the time. Let's do a news episode and let's talk through it. I want to be open and honest. A moment ago, I said two of the three of us are enjoying it. I'm I'm the odd man out. And it's not that I'm not enjoying it. It's just that I'm like 30 minutes into the game because I have not really had time to engage. So if you're sitting at home and you're thinking, I love tabletop games, I haven't had a chance to play Baldur's Gate. I'm kind of interested. I'm your voice. I'm here for you right now. Yeah, and on the other side of the spectrum, if Baldur's Gate has completely taken over your life and consumed it to some probably hurtful degrees, <laughs> I am your voice. And then we have Tyler, who's in the middle, who's being a normal, healthy adult and playing it like it was supposed to be played, which is taking his time on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Ash, right. uh, did you say you had a prestige level? <laughs> well, no, but I'm on my second playthrough, so yeah. Yep. That's, All right. What's a different word that isn't prestige? <laughs> it's a new game plus. Uh, sad? Yeah. <laughs> Infamy? I don't, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's what this game needs, a new game plus mode. No. So, Brandel, you're 30 minutes in, so you're still in the character creator? Oh, oof. No, okay. I'm a, I'm a little bit past that. It, it's probably also worth saying there's going to be some light spoilers. A lot of what we're mm-hmm. going to talk about tonight are mechanics and some general things. Like, we're not going to describe the setting. So, ideally, you're still surprised. That being said, if you haven't played the game yet and you go into these kind of situations like, I want to know nothing, yeah, okay. Come back. <laughs> when you're done, we'll wait right now. Mm-hmm. And you're back. Okay, let's talk about Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> well, I, I do want to say, in regards to spoilers, I think the only thing that we're going to be spoiling on this podcast is maybe the first first opening parts of that of Act 1. Because yeah. I know, Tyler, you're still in Act 1. I so am. I can't really discuss any of the stuff that happens in Act 2 or Act 3 without spoiling it for Tyler and Randall. So this is probably going to be, unlike our, our, mov- our movie review, pretty spoiler free mm-hmm. uh like i said we'll only be spoiling maybe like the first opening parts of act one like the companions you meet and mm-hmm. stuff like that so if that matters to you you want to go in completely blind then do as randall says if if you don't care about opening spoilers then this is probably a safe episode for you and, and just one more time for safety we'll wait 
<laughs> All right, so we've established we're not going to spoil anything outside of the marketing materials for the game. So I think we're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. So for folks who are playing their very first Baldur's Gate, yes, this is in fact the third game in a long-standing series of games, which dates back to the mid-90s. Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 were some of the best CRPGs ever made. You can get the enhanced editions today through Steam and GOG and a couple other places. They use the, the 2E rule set, so, like, it's going to feel weird, but the games are really good. I strongly encourage you to play them. All right, so let, let's dig in. Let's start with talking a little bit about the crunch, because, you know, we know who I am. We know who our audience is. <laughs> let's talk about what's different between the game and the tabletop version. Well, first off, just uh, before we get into that, I do want to say, mm -hmm. because this is a common question, do I need to play the first Baldur's Gate games in order to understand what's going on here? No, absolutely not. This is a self-contained story made by a different studio over 25 years later. Be unreasonable for them to expect you to <laughs> know, ex remember exactly what was hap happened in the first two games. That being said, there are some like Easter eggs and allusions and references to those first two games that you might get more out of if you played those first two games, but is by no means necessary to have played. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. But I believe the only thing that Baldur's Gate 3 has in common with the first two is that Baldur's Gate is the central, like, major city in the setting. There are some characters that come back from the first two games as well. But. Yeah. It feels like a place probably you don't actually want to live. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> Let me ask the question. As somebody who's kind of coming in blind, what is different from D&D &D 5e? What is different from a typical TTRPG? Tyler, you want to take the head on this one? Yeah, okay. And I'll so add the, to it. <laughs> the biggest and strangest thing that a lot of people are going to encounter is this may be your first time being absolutely trapped playing the rules as written. Mm -hmm. Like for a lot of players, you start from the D&D &D rules and then immediately start forgetting rules and kind of deviate a little way away and it gets... It, less crunchy a little more fluffy more of a storytelling device all of those things uh you house rule you adjust things whatever you choose the rule of cool sometimes yeah there, there's a no human doing that it's it's rules as written with no exceptions yeah i feel like i've seen a lot of complaints on social media where folks will be complaining about like this or that and i'm looking at it thinking like wait isn't that isn't that what's supposed to happen like do i have to yeah. get out the player's handbook <laughs> and read Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah the biggest point of contention is the variant human because people came into uh, it being like why are humans garbage because yeah. they were garbage variant rule is a variant rule <laughs> so humans don't get free feats at level one sorry <laughs> uh, yeah that makes me sad um. <laughs> <laughs> so, well okay what we need is in the menu which is already like it's a teeny tiny menu there's not a lot of choices when you create a character you alluded to this earlier like an hour <laughs> in you're gonna have a character <laughs> what we need is just one more drop down menu of like variant human absolutely mm -hmm. <laughs> look do you want vanilla human do you want spicy human just make it a sub rice drow have sub races <laughs> now like do, do, do you want yep. a spicy human make it a sub rice oh <laughs> is that what i said that's what you said thank you for in calling here. him out on that <laughs> <laughs> that being said, uh, Baldur's Gate has a pretty thriving uh, mod community that the devs are also actively working to officially implement and make it easier for. So if there's a thing that you like from your home rule, 
uh, games that you wish was in the game, chances are it's probably on the mod database that you could get and put it into the game. So. All right, so let's talk about like specific things that are different from the tabletop because uh, most of our audience has played D&D, so people are coming to this game from the tabletop and they're probably going to notice some things over time. So most obviously, some of the character options are going to work a little bit differently for you know various reasons. Some things have been buffed, some things have been nerfed, some things have been adjusted to work better in a video game. You're not going to have like the full 5e list of character options. It's mostly player's handbook stuff. The lineup of races a little is a little different. Humans have completely different stats from 5e. Yeah, there's some other changes. So generally, when you're looking at the character options, just assume that they're going to be different from the tabletop and read them fresh. Don't just see like, oh, yeah, chromatic orb. I know what that does. It doesn't. Wait, what What yeah. does it do? That, that That is exactly right. Like, I have made several mistakes when I played through this game the first time, just not reading spell descriptions or ability descriptions because I thought I knew what they did, and then being infuriated and frustrated when I realized that they do something completely different. So... For instance, there are some good changes that I think add to the experience, like with Chromatic Orb. Chromatic Orb is great. It's still it's still good as it is in the tabletop, but the thing that it is now is Larian really likes dealing with their environmental effects, like they pulled from Divinity Original Sin 2, if you've played that, uh, where environmental effects were kind of like 50% of all battles in the, in the world. <laughs> they did pull that back a little bit. So Chromatic orb, orb is very cool because each of the different elements that you can throw on also puts down a small area of effect that lingers onto the ground. So like if you throw an ice chromatic orb, leave some ice that people could maybe fall on. If you throw a lightning chromatic orb at somebody, it leaves an electrified surface that can electrocute them, all that fun stuff. Now, some of the changes people are not going to be happy about because I wasn't happy about them. <laughs> like, for instance, Dissonant Whispers, very good spell in the tabletop, garbage spell in the game. Don't take okay. it. <laughs> right. Remind people, so, okay, what does it do in 5e tabletop? So what does it do in the game? In, in 5e tabletop, Dissonant Whispers causes someone, deals damage and immediately causes that person to use their reaction to move away from you in a straight line which was really good to exploit for like opportunity attacks because it's not forced movement. Someone has to use a reaction in order to do that. You, you could pop that off on someone who's fighting your fighter. Your fighter now gets a free, uh, a free opportunity attack on them. Really great power. Instead, what it does now is it does damage and then it frightens them for one round. That's it, which is okay. That's fine. But I could just vicious mockery them. <laughs> Yeah, and could do the same effect. <laughs> yeah, fr frightened. They can't move any closer, but they're also not running away, giving us that opportunity attack. So we've lost exactly the, the key opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot less of the ability to force someone to move to get opportunity attacks in the game. Like in tabletop, there's many different ways you can do that. Larian has gone on record saying that they thought that forced movement opportunity attacks were really strong and made the game really easy so that's why they didn't implement it which i kind of get but it also just makes one of my favorite spells not good mm -hmm. anymore and the other one that i was really shocked by uh so beware if you're taking this is greater invisibility so usually greater invisibility in the tabletop you go invisible and when you attack do actions all the other stuff you stay invisible but because that's kind of game-breaking and i get it would be kind of frustrating to fight against in this game instead what happens is 
anytime you take an action that would conceivably break normal invisibility on greater invisibility, you have to succeed on a stealth check or you stop being invisible. So, oh. yeah. So just be aware of that. I was wondering why my greater invisibility was lasting like two turns. That's why. <laughs> greater invisibility now is only useful for stealthy characters. It's not useful for your spellcaster anymore. Got it. So put it on your rogue. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. So, yeah, like there's a lot of booby traps like that that are going to surprise you. Something cool. So let's see. So one D&D is coming. And one of the big changes that's coming in one D&D is the new weapon mastery system, which adds rider effects when you hit with a weapon. So Larian has Larian 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 the devs Larian. I've heard it both uh, ways. <laughs> You've heard of both devs from it's, me. It's Larian. Right. As a longtime fan, I'm telling you, it's Larian. I believe you. All right. Larian <laughs> has added a similar system. So weapons have special attacks that you can use with them. They're usable once per short rest. Weapons will have one, two, or three different special attacks. Usually martial weapons seem like they have more of them. Uh, so it's cool stuff like great axes have a prepare thing that you can do as a bonus action, and then you get bonus damage when you hit quarter staffs quarter staves uh, have thing called topple that knocks people prone so there's you know there's some cool new options for martial characters beyond just what they get from their class also if you're clever and you're still in the early game change weapons between fights because those abilities are it's either per weapon or per weapon type i can't remember right this second but like yeah grab a great axe and a great sword and a maul and just rotate between them every fight and you've got fresh abilities every time it's pretty cool also, when in doubt, use your consumables. There, There's a lot of really great consumables in this game, unlike in the tabletop where you have consumables and you never use them. There's like really different specialized arrows. Like if you have a ranger and you're not using specialized arrows, you're doing something wrong. Definitely use those specialized arrows. There's stuff that like there's poison arrows, there's fire arrows, there's arrows that push people back in backwards, which can be really useful if they're near a cliff. You just push them back into a cliff, uh, into a chasm. There's also a transportation arrow that allows you to just teleport to wherever your arrow lands, famously abused by Matt Mercer in his playthrough of the game. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of creative ways that's not just limited to your ability. Like, I think Larian did a good job of making the items themselves very interesting, which is something we'll talk about later. Also, the other thing that I would warn people about who are coming from the tabletop, especially if you're an optimizer and you go to our website to optimize, I would basically tell you that throw all of your previous knowledge of optimization kind of out the window. <laughs> a lot of the stuff will transfer over to tabletop, but things that would never be viable in the tabletop are now very viable because of some of these items that we're going to talk about, the magic items. So mad, we all tell people mad multi-classing is really bad and is not viable. It is 100% viable in this game. <laughs> Wait, and to remind people, when we say mad, we mean multiple ability score dependent. Yes, so like if you're going wizard and sorcerer or hmm. something like that, uh, where you're using, you, you have to rely on Charisma and Wisdom, they don't really line up all that well together. There are items that will just set your Wisdom to 20, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, don't feel like you have to go in with the same kind of knowledge. There is more to this system than there was in the tabletop, for sure. 
Yeah. That said, though, like a lot of things do work the same day, the same way. Ability scores work the same way. Skills work the same way for the most part. The only exception I can think of is uh, Thieves Tools has been rolled into sleight of hand, which I think we've actually suggested as a house rule on the podcast a couple of times. That's the way I've totally. always ruled it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Hit points work the same way. They follow the adventuring day guidelines where you're where you get two short rests per long rest. So no coffee locks. <laughs> that being said, if you want more short rests, bring a bard because they change song of rest because song of rest is kind of hard to translate to a video game. So instead, it's just like you play a tune and you get the benefits of a short rest. I, so. I think it's just the healing. Um, I'm, I'm playing no, a bard right now. Is it really? You get features back. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, you get features back too. Dang, I got to bring the <laughs> warlock with me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's one of the things that we'll get there. We'll get to the things that drive us nuts. Uh, hey, let's take a deep breath. Uh, let's take a short rest and have an ad break. Good transition. And blink and you miss it because short rests are just you click a button and you're done. Uh, no rolling yeah. of hit dice. You just get half your hit points back. <laughs> Here we go. All right. So uh, let's say lots of nice things about the game. What things have we really, really liked? I think the combat in this game is really a standout. It is a lot of fun. Even if you haven't played turn, if you don't like turn-based video games or you haven't played turn-based video games, I encourage you to try it because it is very addicting and it feels really intense and action-packed. It feels like you're playing a session of D&D, especially if you're playing with some friends. Like They did a really great job of translating the combat system from 5th edition kind of pretty faithfully to how it feels in the video game. But yeah, there's just... That's one of the standouts for me. What about you, Tyler? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Combat's pretty awesome. There are spiders in the game because there, of course there are. And um, I made myself very happy in that situation by having every single one of my characters just kick spiders into pits. It's like, ha, 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 catharsis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's the other thing is, yeah, shoving in this game is really mm-hmm. good. And yeah. you should be doing it a lot. Because there are a lot of endless chasms in, the, in this game yeah. that you can just shove people into. And if you don't shove people into it, chances are they will shove you into it. So be careful. Yeah. If you're playing on tactical, yeah, on tactical difficulty, the enemies will use the terrain. They will shove. They will throw you. Like Even on, even on balance, they'll do it too. Hmm. Okay. Okay. But I want to understand this a little bit better. I am standing next to a deep, deep chasm. Mm-hmm. you shove me into it mm-hmm. i'm gone now yeah you're dead yeah you just died okay D- it, like if i lose because I, I have companions with me let's say they shove a companion in they're, they're gone dead. now you need to you need to re- revive them you have scrolls of revivify though you're given a lot of okay those. so i can i can get the body back <laughs> yeah basically if they fall off a cliff there's like a little orb that shows up that you can uh revive if you don't have a way to revive companions you can also talk to an NPC in your camp who can revive for 200 gold pieces. So don't be afraid if your companions die. Don't feel like mm-hmm. you have to reload. It's pretty easy to get them back up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like it is in fifth edition. <laughs> yeah. I, even easier, man. Uh, oh man. Yeah. Can I, can I just say like the, the community has done such a good job avoiding spoilers around the NPC in your camp who, who does various useful things for you. And you get him in the first, like, 30 minutes of the game. So it's like, 
Well, it's because he's such a great <laughs> character, and we don't want to spoil it because he's fun. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, if you're wondering where are, people are talking all this respec stuff, where is this guy? He's very easy to miss, so make sure you fully explore that rune uh, near the crash site at the beginning of the game. It's in the first five minutes of the game. Make sure you mm -hmm. fully explore that, because if, if you don't, you miss out on a core fundamental aspect of the game. So it sucks that they did it that way, but that's just kind of how it is. Yeah. I'm super glad that you told me because that is exactly where I am wandering around right now. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Make sure you fully explore the ruin. It will tell you basically check your uh, diary, uh, your journal. And uh, if it says that you should, there might still be things to find in the rune, keep looking because you haven't found him yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. so i i'm also really excited about how they handled gear so 5e isn't a game where you're going to end up with a million magic items like if you if you follow the expected wealth curve you'll end up with like six or seven permanent magic items by level 20 and in a video game that kind of sucks it's like oh yeah i'm level 10 and i've got two items that are significant like great no the, they're very very uh generous with the magic items there's just mundane gear that'll have minor stat buffs like helmets give you a bonus to saves yeah it makes equipping your characters meaningful and interesting it took me until level five to find studded leather armor which is kind of weird but other than that yeah the gear has been really great yeah, that's what makes this game really interesting and different, throws some of the optimization out of the window, especially in the late game, because there's some really powerful gear. And since you don't have attunement slots, you can literally equip your entire party and all of their equipment with just magic items that do different things. You can make some really powerful characters through just optimizing your magic items, which is definitely different from the tabletop. I know it might frustrate some, you know, die-hard tabletop <laughs> purity people but for me personally i just think it was in the name of fun like tyler said it would have sucked if you only had like three per character magic items that were any good and they were just like a nice bonus that would have sucked that's not yeah. how video games work yeah look <laughs> i've got a plus one sword and a plus two shield and a plus two suit of armor and that is the only items i will ever own good for me yeah, Yay, no. <laughs> I'm having fun. Uh -huh. <laughs> Let me ask a question: Like, how much have you spent on loot boxes? Because I feel like you probably could have gotten much better <laughs> items, <laughs> sir. Oh. <laughs> this isn't that kind of game. Thank God. Wait, there's no loot boxes? There's no loot boxes. Thank God. No loot boxes. No microtransactions of any kind, mm. which is great. <laughs> but one major positive I do wanna I do wanna say, and Randall, you're not gonna believe me. Monks are good now. <laughs> oh. They're actually good. Um, like you bring them with you? <laughs> yes. Wave the Elements Monk is also good now. Wave wow. the Four Elements Monk is actually good now. Uh, you can make some really, really broken characters with monks, especially if you go Wave the Open Palm, which, uh, you know, wholeness of body that heals you for your level or whatever? Yeah, it doesn't do just that anymore. It also gives you an extra bonus action for a few turns. Whoa. That you can spend on Flurry of Blows. Then you can also multiclass into Thief, which also gives you an extra bonus action. So now I have three <laughs> bonus actions. And if you're worried, well, I'm going to go through all my key points, guess what? You get half your key points back on a short rest. Oh, half wait, that's, that's actually worse. You get all of them back in the tabletop version. Do you on a short rest? Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, then it's all of them. My bad. I thought it was just oh. Okay. I thought they only got them back on a long rest. Never mind. No. But yeah, it's really easy to take a short rest and get all of your monk powers back. There's also several different items that also just allow you to get key points back. Oh, yeah. Hmm. That's the other thing about wholeness of body. It gives you free key points every turn as well. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is that is a heck of a feature. Okay. I might have to yeah, play a monk. Wait, when does that become available? Becomes available at level six, I believe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, with a level yeah. cap of 12, that's like yeah. less but than halfway still, through, but still. It's pretty good. Um, there's also ways that you can optimize it to have a lot of extra bonus damage hmm. to your unarmed strikes. There's different items you can equip that can add more and more to that. One of the features that Open Palm gets is uh, they get to add a specific damage type to their unarmed strikes as well. And then Tavern Brawler <laughs> is interesting now. With Monk, you can make Strength Monks now because if you take Tavern Brawler, it adds double your Strength modifier to your unarmed strikes. Attack and damage, yeah. Mm-hmm. Attack and damage, <laughs> yep. If you optimize it well, you can hit about 20 to 40 damage per unarmed strike. And you and have oh, two attacks. Oh, you have three attacks <laughs> at max. La- three attack. Well, yeah, no. If you if you multiclass in thief and uh, and monk, mm-hmm. you will get extra attacks. So, uh, um, three attacks plus three bonus flurry of blows, which each have two hit per per, per blow. That's like two hundred and forty damage a turn, my friend. <laughs> yeah, and then you can stack a bunch of magic items that add on hit with damage with unarmed strikes, like. It- it gets a little yeah. muddy. It's pretty great. Yeah, monks <laughs> monks are very good. If you think monks were trash in the tabletop game, they've finally been given justice in this game. So <laughs> give them a try. I promise you they take a bit to come online. It's going to feel like the same old trash for a while. But mm-hmm. once they come online, who boy is it glorious. <laughs> I'm just imagining like the cleric walking around. It's like, what am I even doing with this mace? Like, why Why am I here? I, <laughs> I, I mean, every cleric should be saying that about maces in general. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> For, so fortunately, um, rebuilding your character is actually super easy. Like that NPC we mentioned, it costs 100 gold. You can do it anytime you want, however many times you want. You can't change your race or your background, so you're locked into those. But if you're thinking like, I'm going to be a monk eventually, so I'll set up for that, but I'll pick a different class for the first couple levels and then change when monk really comes online. Yeah, you can do that. No problem. Uh, super easy. Yeah, you can do you can the same also- thing to companions. Companions, yeah, yeah, you can <laughs> respect your companions. Mm-hmm. So, so I start as a fighter. I play six levels of fighter, and I'm like, you know what? No more weapons. <laughs> and now I'm yeah. You can do that. Okay, yeah. you can do All that. Right. Yeah, it really allows you to experiment with fun, fun builds, and just see like what kind of speaks to you. Yeah, there's there's a lot of fun fun to be had here. Is the name of the game is fun. And uh, yeah, some of the spells that were kind of niche and situational are actually really good now. Like Create Water is very good. (laughs) Create Water, not a spell I've ever used in the tabletop, Mm -hmm. ever. Why is it good? So if you cast it on a person or a group of people, because it's an area of effect that you can just plop on, and it's a pretty big area of effect too, it leaves a wet surface and it makes all of those characters wet. What that does is it now makes them vulnerable to cold damage and lightning damage. So yeah, (laughs) as someone who's playing someone who specialized in lightning damage, 
this can get pretty nutty really quick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the transmutation Ooh. wizard, their second level feature is you can just cast create water for free all day, it's whenever so you want. Dumb. Also, so there's dumb. a lot of fire in the game that you can put out with water. So either you're me and you carry around barrels of water to throw at things, or you just cast create water. Yeah. And it's really easy to get extra spell slots in this game. Like I have several magic items that give me six level one spell slots that I nice. exclusively use to fuel my sorcery points. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's see. So we talked about the companions a little bit. Like I'm sure, like everybody, including us, is saying wonderful things about the companions. They're all pretty cool. Like I, I have yet yeah. to find a companion that I don't like. Like everyone's least favorite companion is the uh, the Gith Yankee who you meet in the first like thirty seconds of the game. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She's my fighter. She works for me. She's also got a really interesting story. Don't write her mm-hmm. off. <laughs> and that's the thing is the thing that I appreciate about this game in most RPGs I've played. There's always a few companions that are really boring or bad and they all fit into kind of an archetype like this one's the disgruntled fighter or this one's the <laughs> psychopath uh this one's the goody two shoes lawful lawful stupid person mm-hmm. none of them ever fit that way like i guess you could kind of make the argument that astarian and lazel are kind of cruel and maybe are the closest to evil but they have their nuances Mm-hmm. And you can kind of convince your companions to go have whatever moral compass you want them to, essentially. And the other thing is, like, if you're worried, oh, there's approval systems, so I'm just going to be cut off from some character's story because I haven't maxed their approval because I don't take them. You don't need to do that. You aren't cut off from any companions. You might miss on some, like, scenes. Like, some scenes might be different from for you based on their approval rating, but you can go through their entire companion quest if you just talk to them without maxing their approval as long as they don't hate you (laughs) (laughs) yeah challenge accepted i yeah like (laughs) i met the gith for what it's worth like my my quick instinct was like oh it's gamora (laughs) that's it is kind it is kind of gamora yeah she is kind of gamora she's also plays out She's also surprisingly funny. Yeah, there's a point where she sa- where she calls a teethling a teethling a teethling, and you can you can make fun of her for that. Yeah, <laughs> like I've never met one of these things. I don't I don't care. I don't know what this planet She's is like, called. I I'm do not know space. the custom. Yeah. <laughs> you why won't educate it, me on it? this fey run. <laughs> so why is it called a hornling? <laughs> you have a point. Uh, I love I love Lazelle. Lazelle's great. Don't write her off. She's a yeah. fun character. <laughs> oh man, I, I I just got through a scene where where I accidentally had her kick in a door and she gives a happy little smile when she's done. It's like the only time I've ever seen her smile and I just broke down laughing. It was so funny. She's low-key adorable. I'm telling yeah. you, she's low-key adorable. <laughs> you gotta defrost her a bit, but she's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so on the subject of companions, uh, let's talk about things that we we like less about the game because the game's great. It's not perfect. <laughs> no, uh, absolutely not. There's always going to be issues. I think the biggest issue because we we're talking about companions. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to get into romantic situations with companions by mistake yeah. too. Uh-huh. It has happened to me so many times. So before you talk before you talk go to camp 
or talk to your companions, maybe quick save if you don't yeah. want to romance them because it's really easy. The game doesn't tell you that you're romancing a person until eventually it's like, oh, I'm in a relationship with this person now. But that's how it works in real life, right? Like you don't actually realize yeah, that somebody's I, flirting with I, you. Yes. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I, I guess this is where we're at now. I, <laughs> I, I guess. There, there's somebody um, playing this game at home. It's like, I'm going to romance all of these people. And it's like, why are none of them talking to me? It's like, you're trying too hard in the game. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, the stories my wife could tell about me. <laughs> 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 well, Lazel is notorious for being the easiest person to get a intimate scene with. Mm. That's why there is now a speed run any percentage for <laughs> trying to have sex with Lazel. Really? I love this. Yep, I love this community. <laughs> They've got it down to four minutes, y'all. Four minutes. <laughs> wow, internet. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, love this game. Love this community. Yeah. It's great. The other big notorious person for this is Gail. Uh-huh. <laughs> Gail is someone I have jokingly classified as an incel <laughs> because he just he picks up on cues that are not there and just assumes that you're in a relationship now. Uh, like you're you're having a conversation with him about his cat and how he thinks you're like his cat. And then the next thing he knows, he's getting all butthurt because you're in a relationship with Carlac and he thought he was special to you. It's like, dude, we didn't even kiss. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Look, I just want to be platonic best friends with everybody in the party. Like, we're going through a traumatic event together. There's violence. There are multiple near-death experiences, unless you're my party's rogue, in which case there are triple-digit death experiences for some reason. <laughs> cannot, cannot keep him alive. Mismanaged no sanctuary. player. Sanctuary. You that sanctuary. Might be, that might be the answer. Like, I, I don't know what it is about him. Every single time someone has been set on fire, shoved off a cliff, crit to death, every single time, it's always the rogue. Every time. I poor, don't know. Poor Astarian. I know. Star. Uh, but, but yeah gail was so notorious for this that they actually implemented the patch specifically to address him and his horniness so just be careful when you're talking to gail is all i will say yeah has your has your personality ever been so problematic that a company had to patch you <laughs> just seriously just gail just, just scale. <laughs> All right. The, pe people complain about how forward Lazel and Astarian are. I appreciate that because I know that if I say yes to it, that it's going to initiate sex and this is going to be a romance. Gail yeah. is like, "Hey, do you want to see some cool magic tricks?" Oh, that's actually a that's actually a segue for me it's to code. try to. It's code. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I, obviously, I haven't encountered any of this yet, but what you're describing <laughs> is giving me flashbacks to the first Dragon Age. Where it's like, you know, <laughs> let's talk about building a campfire. And, oh, how did we find ourselves here? Uh, <laughs> well, okay, I, I, I just want to get this out there. Let's say you saw this podcast. You're not a TTRPG player. You, you know, you haven't been to a lot of tables. You, you haven't played a lot of games. But you're loving Baldur's Gate, and you think the romance system is awesome. In, in my experience, which at this point is growing every day, I wouldn't say it's fast, but it's out there. This isn't normal. <laughs> you no. will have to look for very specific tables if you were hoping that you're going to get into a ttrpg and uh i don't know romance the human being standing <laughs> next to you for your player characters 
Uh, so if, if you're that person and you're loving the video game, and just like, I want this in real life. Be careful. Uh, don't, don't, <laughs> uh, well, I, okay, I shouldn't say don't, but um, we have an episode on session zero. Uh, mm-hmm. We also, we talk all the times about lines and veils, safety tools. Odds are, if you walk into a table, like you get online, you sign into a table and you're like, I'm going to start romancing people. All of a sudden, safety cards are going to start coming out. Yeah, and, and... <laughs> yeah uh, not everybody's comfortable with doing romance in tabletops because it's a lot more intimate than it is in a video game. So just be aware of everybody's boundaries. At, at the same time, uh, if you are one of those tables, that is also perfectly normal. But for some reason, the segments of the community that play one way or the other way very very clean line between them and somehow they almost never cross so like there are tables yep. where people use D as an excuse to sit around and flirt with their friends and they have a great time doing it and then there are tables like everyone i've been at where like if you look at me funny we're gonna have words yeah, yeah I, I, I you're you're absolutely right like i, I don't want to <laughs> yuck anybody's yum my call it is like make sure before you start that you are at mm. the right table for it that's yeah, the important exactly. part. so basically short answer short short answer don't be Gale, okay? Don't be Gale. <laughs> Don't be Gale. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> uh, oh, so Larian released statistics like a week after the game came out, and um, one of the options during character creation is you can just play one of the pre-made companion characters. Gale was the most chosen character. So a lot of, of people he was, are human choosing wizard, to be Gale. Human wizard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, it's a bad build. Um <laughs> At least. <laughs> yeah. If you want to be the main talker in conversations, mm-hmm. you're going to have to play a charisma character. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Hey, yeah, that's a, that's another thing that kind of annoys me. So if you're bad at charisma skills, you're going to get locked out of a lot of content. So your first playthrough, like play a bard, play a sorcerer, play a paladin, take charisma skills, like plan to be charming. You can be a low charisma stumbling fool on your second playthrough, or at the very least, like go into the game and make one of your NPCs your face for a while. I made uh, Asterian my face because he, he was the only one in my party with a positive charisma modifier for a while. <laughs> it it works. Uh, you don't look, want a and be in your face, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> look, there was exactly one time where he intimidated people with his teeth, and I'm like, that's pretty cool. I hope I get to do that a lot. I don't know if I do, but, you know, there's more game. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, so let's talk about game mechanics in real quick, because there are some problem cases. So I advocate for the spell guidance in the tabletop all the time. It is the best cantrip used on every ability check. There's no reason not to other than concentration being a mild inconvenience. Hey, it's even worse in this because when you're doing skill checks, there's a little button at the bottom, add bonuses. You click on that. If anyone in your party, including you, can cast guidance, you can just slip that right into social situations. Literally, literally any skill check outside of combat, just assume you're going to have guidance. But you do have to go click the buttons and get it. You can't just have it for free. Yeah, and you can't yeah. stack it. So that's true, but you can stack it with bardic inspiration and enhanceability mm-hmm. and items yeah. and 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 so and, but, yeah. So uh, <laughs> there are ways around the low charisma stuff. Just uh, mm-hmm. just use uh, enhanceability on the person you want to be your face and yeah. load them up with the bonuses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there are ways to make a non-face into a face in this game. Uh, yeah, there's also. 
we, we talked a bit about like you know items and a lot of the different unique builds you can make in this and all the changes to like mechanics which makes it really easy to break this game mm -hmm. there's a thing that tyler and uh random stumbled on uh in the discord which was camp casting where you can have a party member that you have no intention of bringing with you cast a bunch of long-term buffs that don't require concentration that last until a long rest and they will just stay on you even if they leave the party if you're feeling particularly mean, you can even use warding bond and then just come back to a dead party member. Yeah. <laughs> no, but th that's not, I mean, that's, that's well within rules as written. Like we do that at our table all the time where like mm -hmm. one of our player, one of our players, one of our player characters just stays at camp while everybody else goes adventuring. <laughs> What's wrong with that? If you're playing with six people, that's too many to bring into combat. I'm not going to run that combat. You, you have to stay home. You drew the short straw today. And it's yeah. always the monk. <laughs> the only one who can't give other people buffs, really? Yeah, no, okay, fine. <laughs> we'll bring the monk with us and we'll use them as a tank, good at it or not. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's many different ways you can break the mm -hmm. game. We talked about the Tavern Brawler monk exploit. The create Water is just such a good spell. If you're a cleric, you need to have it prepared there's no excuse for you to not have create water prepared all the time now, <laughs> which I never thought I would say because it's usually such a niche spell. Mm -hmm. Also, there's a thing, I don't know if it's intentional and I don't know if it'll be patched out, but if you take one level dip in wizard, you can learn all the wizard scrolls as long as you have spell slots to cast them with. So <laughs> you don't have to be of a level in wizard where you can cast six level spells to be able to learn six level spells on your sorcerer it's dumb <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm i'm playing a bard wizard right now which is normally a terrible multi-class combination yeah. yeah i want to i wanted the wizard spell casting and the bard skills so i've got like bard spells for utility and buffs i've got wizard for everything else and i've got bard skills and bardic inspiration and like uh, oh man it uh it's working for me it's real good yeah. <laughs> so we talked about the good, we talked about the bad. Let's talk about unfortunately the ugly. Yeah, so things that are ugly because you know, call back to a movie that's older than I am. Is it older than that? Anyway. Uh it is so yes. <laughs> Jeez. Uh yeah, okay. So there are some things that are a little bit like weird. Character creation is super daunting. Like if you haven't if you haven't played the tabletop game, like there's a lot of stuff that it just assumes you know, which is absolutely terrible. The first two Baldur's Gate games did it even worse because the games, like the rules text wasn't available on the internet. There wasn't internet. So like people are going to be dependent on guides. We're working on writing them. We have we have a few supporting articles on the site already, which will be linked in the show notes. Like we're going to have class handbooks eventually. We're trying. There's a lot. There's a lot of buttons in character creation and character advancement that are super easy to miss. Like when you when you go to take it your second level, you can multi-class, but the button is hidden at like the top right of the like first pop-up window. So if you don't even know to look for it, you can completely miss it. Might never know it's there. Yeah, so look around for buttons that are in weird places. Look around for like indicators of things that are on like the wrong side of the screen. The UX in, in character creation advancement is not fantastic. That's probably one of the low points of the game, in my opinion. Yeah, I think Tyler's right. I think that uh, it could have maybe used another pass. 
Uh, yeah, when making your character in terms of mechanics, it can be kind of daunting. That being said, like uh, editing your character, like physically, is very good. I think they did a great job with that. But it is easy to miss because it's to edit the character. It, like the edit screen is on the right hand side, but it's not available until you click a button that's on the bottom of the screen, which is weird to me. Yeah. And then also <laughs> that before you click on edit character, there's a series of uh, buttons uh, underneath where the edit character options pop up for you to select your body type, which is like strong female, slim female, strong male, slim male, that kind of stuff. If you click edit appearance before doing that, uh, you'll be wondering, why, wait, why can't I change my gender? Because those buttons are now gone. <laughs> I don't know why they chose to do it that way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just just pay attention uh, when, like Tyler said, when you're going through the character career, because it's really easy to miss stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So something that I I really wish was explained better, um, facing is a thing. So if you're used to the tabletop RPG, everybody sees in all directions. Not a thing here. If you hold shift or if you enter stealth mode, NPCs will have a red cone of vision. If you're inside that vision they can see you unless you're successfully hiding. So like that is a huge mechanic. If you're playing stealthy characters, if you're picking pockets, any of those things, metal well, gear. I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to say if you, uh, if you stealth in their vision, like if you walk into their vision, they won't automatically spot you because if you're outside of their kind of vision, they don't see you at all. It's mm -hmm. only when you enter their vision that the game starts making stealth checks for you. And that's how you get revealed. That being said, if you think you can just be like uh, you are in the tabletop game, like as a rogue, you come out, you shoot, and then you bonus action stealth, you can't do that here. <laughs> because if you try to stealth in someone's vision, uh, like if you're in their vision cone when you try to stealth, you will immediately pop out of stealth. It won't let mm -hmm. you. So you have to get out of their vision cone, like behind cover or far enough away from them to where you can then stealth. But once you're in stealth and then you walk into your vision, their vision, you're not immediately... Um, revealed so keep that in mind stealth is really complicated in this game mm -hmm. so yeah it, it does make the environments like very very impactful and satisfying which is really cool because like, yeah you For learn sure. to use cover you learn to break line of sight before you hide i've had encounters that i only survived because i had my entire party like run out of line of sight hide waited for the enemies to congregate and then i just dropped a bunch of aoe's on them like, yep that's a classic yeah <laughs> use your environment it works now, the big, the big, big thing that I need to mention, and this is getting addressed soon, but if you're playing through the game, it's something I feel people should be aware of. Act 1 and Act 2 are extremely solid in terms of like how they're presented and how well they're done. Act 3 needs work. <laughs> it is a performance nightmare. If you have even a mid-tier PC, it is going to cause some frame rate issues for you. The city is beautiful. I think a lot of the stuff that happens in Act 3 is amazing. It has some of the, my favorite parts in the game, but it is notoriously bad on performance, and it has a lot of bugs. So if you've played Larian games in the past, you know this is kind of a trend for them. The last act tends to be kind of not great in terms of <laughs> performance optimization, some missing content, and bugs. But by the time that they roll out the definitive edition within a year, that is a very that will be a very solid, good, complete part of the game. So that's just 
I don't know why that why this ha- uh, happens with Larian. Uh, I think they just kind of want to get the games out and then fix it. But just keep that in mind. It's still playable. Like it's still 100% playable. You're not going to run to anything that's going to completely destroy your experience. And the narrative is still very rock solid, you know, when it's not being buggy. But that is just a disclaimer that I want to present to people who are hoping that the Act 3 is going to be of a similar stellar quality as the first two. But they're being really good with patches. They just released patch one, uh, which fixed a lot of bugs. And then patch two is really, they said, is really going to try to address the complaints that have formed around specifically Act 3. So if you are close to Act 3 and you are nervous about that, I would say wait until Patch 2 comes out. Don't worry. Like, that's actually, I'm playing the long game, you see. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I know this doesn't apply to either of you two, because by the time you guys get there, the definitive edition will have already been released and it will not be a problem. (laughs) Baldur's Gate 4 might be out by then. Let's be very, very realistic. I'm making progress. I'm almost level five. Like I, where you you just uh you just got to Joaquin's rest, right? I uh spoilers, but yeah, that's not spoilers. They don't even know what that means. Do you know what that's that means, fair. Randall? Do you know what, what Joaquin's rest? Yeah. So you just got to Joaquin's rest. You've barely scratched the surface, my friend. You are okay. nowhere close to Act Three. Abandoned hope all you enter here. Look. Look, I'm going to get level, I'm going to hit level five. I'm going to find a scroll of fireball and then it's off to the races. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> oh, okay. Wait, I, I think you implied this earlier, but it just now clicked for me. I have to find spells. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. So if, if you're a wizard, you still get two spells new for free every time you gain a level, but okay. you can also find scrolls and learn them by paying gold and you find a lot of scrolls in this game <laughs> no okay but that's awesome like as a mm-hmm. as a dm that is always something that's like i know that's in the rules and i wish i did that more because it's awesome and so i'm just excited to see that that's a mechanic that's getting explored i'm hoping more people realize like it is fun to find or learn abilities and not just to wake up one day and it's like oh i i, I punch good now or huh, fireballs <laughs> yeah there's the great thing about this game is like if you really go out of your way to explore you'll find some really cool stuff like the game really rewards you for exploring like you'll find either really awesome magic item you'll find some spell scrolls that are really nice to have you might even find a unique spell or two that is not available anywhere else unless you do this. Go on. There's all... <laughs> um, don't don't there's go on. All... Spoilers. <laughs> no, I'm not going to go on. There's also like permanent buffs you can get. And especially in Act 3, the thing that I love about Act 3 is where they really pull out all of the carts, uh, pull, pull all of the stops out. And you can f- get some really awesome stuff. Game-breaking stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I was really hoping you were going to say something inflammatory, and then Dan was just going to, it's like, the thing I really love about Act 3 is... <laughs> no, no, we already hit on all the stuff with the companions. That's fair, actually. <laughs> oh. uh, I, I will say with the scroll thing with wizards, uh, there are some spell scrolls that are extremely common, and some that are less so. So it's really frustrating when you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna learn these two spells. It's like I just found eight scrolls of this in various places. Like, I could you just give me one scroll of flaming sphere, please? Just one. Because <laughs> you like me. Also, mm-hmm. flaming sphere, real good. Like it a lot. Yeah. Also, disintegrate, <laughs> real fun to use, real fun to oh, twin. I'm excited for that. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah okay yeah all right so ash if i remember right 
you're playing the dark urge yes yes okay now all right I know a lot of people have said that they are they want to save the dark urge for their second playthrough, probably an evil playthrough. I actually highly, highly encourage people. I know it's going to sound counterintuitive. Play the dark urge for your first playthrough. You can still play a good person and play the dark urge. In fact, I think it's more fun to resist the urge than it is to give into it. And there's a lot of articles that talk about this. It feels like the dark urge was meant to be the main character of the of the game because. When you pick a background and stuff and you're doing a custom character, your background will come up occasionally, but it's not going to have like a huge like impact on the story the way that your companions will. So your companions are having all this cool stuff happen to, mm-hmm. happen to them. And you're like, nothing cool has really happened to me. Like I don't get to <laughs> interact with some interesting NPCs. Not as the Dark Urge. As the Dark Urge, the thing about it, and I don't want to spoil too much for it, they really did a good job of adding some interesting stakes to the story. And it works in such a way that it kind of feeds directly into the main conflict of the story. So the dark urge, I I can see what uh, journalists are saying where it feels like this was meant to be the main character, but they didn't want to pigeonhole people for the first character, uh, which I totally get. But if you, if you feel like that's something that you're interested in, you want to have like an actual unique story, play the dark urge. You're not forced into doing evil acts you can resist the urge. You can still be a completely goody two-shoes, do a good playthrough, which is what I've been doing. And it's incredible. And it's really satisfying. And it's really well done. Okay. So as a person who has no idea what you just said, I'm going to try to ask a question setting up in a spoiler-free <laughs> way as possible. Is, is playing the dark urge a decision you make on the character creation screen? Or is playing yes. the dark urge a decision you make early in the game? No, it is, uh, it is something you make on the character creation screen. So when those origins pop up that allow you to play one of your companion characters, it is one of the options. It is not a companion character. If you do not pick it, it will not show up in the game. Is it an ancestry, a background? Uh, it, it's just sort of like a it's backstory. An origin. So, yeah. So ah, you, instead okay. of yeah, instead of picking a background like you normally would, it gives you the background haunted one, which is unique to the dark urge. You can't pick haunted one normally. But so. It- you select the option, like the very first screen of character creation, where you very can choose. Very first screen. Yeah. Custom origin, one of the companion characters, or the dark urge. Yeah. That, that feels like a weird thing to hide as opposed to just being like, <laughs> I, I completely buy like the storyline being written for like this character. Like, this, yeah, we're going to pretend <laughs> this happened to you and this is all great. In your, but, but actually, this happened to this character. It's a little bit weird that it's just hidden in the menu that way. <laughs> kind of. It's, it's like not, I said, though. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty obvious and listed out. When you, before you do anything, it asks you if you want to do custom character or one of the origins. Oh, no, I hear you. I created a character. I had no idea what you were talking about. So. Yeah. Like uh, I said, okay. the UX and the character creation screen not the highlight of the game interesting i don't know i thought it was pretty obvious but i'm not an old man (laughs) but um for those who those of you who are wondering like what is the dark urge like what is the premise of it every origin character will give you a brief little like cutscene. if you click on their play intro if you click on them they'll give you a brief rundown of like their story hook 
didn't know yeah, that was again, there either. Man, okay. Again, old man. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, Dark Urge is the, the, the thing that's unique about the Dark Urge is you can, it's the only one that you can customize. The other origins, mm. you're locked into a specific race and class. You can respect your class, but you can't respect your race. But Dark Urge, you can play as any race, any class you want. But the premise of the Dark Urge is that you have these urges that call you to murder indiscriminately. <laughs> and they're overpowering urges that that try to get you to like you know cut off people's limbs, kill them in gruesome ways, bathe in their blood, and you have no memory of who you are or what caused these urges to form in you in the first place. Wait, this is all in game. Yeah, this is all in game. Okay. <laughs> it's a pretty dark storyline, and you can do some pretty dark stuff, especially if you're doing a dark urge where you submit to the dark urge and give into like it's temptations you can do some pretty disgusting acts like which is why a, a lot of people are saving it like kick a squirrel that's the that's on the tamer end of the things you can do with the dark Urge. <laughs> but yeah it, i i get why people are saving it for an evil playthrough but i still would would encourage people if you want to play a good playthrough and you want to have a unique story you still want to customize your character dark urge is fantastic give it a chance <laughs> all right Okay, so real quick before we close, uh, second playthrough, Ash, what are you planning? So yeah, first playthrough, I was playing a Bard Warlock multi-class, super fun, but wasn't doing a lot of damage. <laughs> this playthrough, I'm doing Tempest Cleric, Storm Sorcerer, and it is such a <laughs> nice. I am one-shotting bosses with this build. <laughs> with create, it's a quicken spell, create water, boom. And then maximize a lightning bolt, or no, no, maximize a uh, a chromatic orb, and when it hits, you can get a special ability that turns a hit into a crit. Oh. It gets dumb, y'all. It gets <laughs> super dumb. <laughs> right. Okay, if, if I make it to a second playthrough, I'm going to go Dark Urge because I haven't experienced that yet, but I think I'm going to play the entire game without resting. That is not possible. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you right now, you're going to have know. a bad time. You're going to have know. a real bad time, my friend. Look, uh, if I abuse the mechanics hard enough, I think I can Wait, do it. Does exhaustion <laughs> not exist? It does not. But also, I will say, you miss a lot of important story moments by refusing to rest. I you just care about the story. Them. <laughs> there are also there are also certain uh, certain thing parts in the game where you are forced to long rest. So keep that ah in okay. All right, well, so he'll we'll forgive himself no, for that. Yeah, I'll say no non-forced long rest. How about that? Okay, <laughs> it's gonna be great. It's gonna be it's gonna be champions and and thief rogues and I'll figure Warlocks. out the rest. Nope, you only get two short rests, and if I can't rest, oh, then yeah. I can't do those either. <laughs> Look, it's gonna be great. I don't know how it's gonna work, but I'm gonna figure it out. And I'm gonna abuse the mechanics heavily to make this work. You're gonna, gonna have to really spec into alchemy, is my suggestion, because <laughs> you oh, can't get healing magic, so you need you need to make your own health potions. That's the way you're gonna have to do yeah. it. Look, there are a lot of there are a lot of buffs that last until you rest. I've already found a potion that gives you 21 strength at like like first or second level. It's like ah, what oh, if yeah, I just stretch that for like 20 hours of gameplay? <laughs> there's one that uh, increases your strength to 27. Ah, uh, that'll be fun. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as games, as well as on 
rpgbot.net. Following these links <laughs> helps us to make this show happen every week. Randall, you had a disgusted look on your face by the end of that. What was that about? 27? 27, Tw- yeah, 27 oh, strength. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, potion, it's no. potion elixir of, of cloud giant strength. Yeah, I mean, and, that's, okay, that's so, in the dungeon master's guide. Yeah, Is yeah. it? It's temporary. Yes. It lasts until temporary. long rest. Uh, in the yeah. DMG, I think it's like an hour or something. But yeah, it lasts a long, long rest. rest. Exactly. Oh, the thing that's gonna suck is like you'll get to act two or act three, and you're forced to take a long rest. And all of a sudden, you wake up, it's like oh I'm weak. I'm scrawny. But but that's fine. At, at that point, I'll have more consumable items. All of my spellcasters will be recharged. I'll go back to camp and just have people pile buffs on me. It'll be great. Uh, Pocket full hey, of Tyler, good berries. Hey, <laughs> hey Tyler, do you want to know what the spell is that you can't learn anywhere else? But what's the name? It, the spell is Dance Macabre. You can you can't oh, get, you can't cool. learn you can't learn it normally, and it's the only Xanathar spell that they have. Okay, uh, is the spell but you good? Have to do it through... Yes, it's very good. It's okay. very good. <laughs> All right, <laughs> you have to do some convoluted convoluted stuff to get it though. Um, okay, but it was I was I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is rad. <laughs> okay. All right, I'll look for it. <laughs> yeah. It's in Act 3, but yeah. Ah, okay, cool. I won't be like, I haven't found it. I'm in Act 1. Where is it? Well, I will say if you want to get it, there's some stuff you have to do in Act 1 to prep for getting it. So, yeah. Got it. Okay, (laughs) I'll do all the things. I'll I'll grind every side quest. I'll murder every NPC. Or not, I guess. (laughs) I don't. I'll beat every NPC. Yes. Selectively. (laughs) 